We are in the middle of a study on Ezra. And we're going to be picking up in Ezra chapter 7, verse 11 today. Should have a a handout here, and if you're online, you can download that on our website or on the Facebook page and track with us today. And before we get into that, you guys ever heard some of those stories where someone thinks they're putting toothpaste on their toothbrush, but it's really um, baby diaper rash stuff or something, you know, you heard those stories? I have a story for you, a fresh one. Um, Wisconsin, it's dry this time of year, real dry. Um, there's a couple of people in my family that are, tend to get nosebleeds. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to have a nosebleed when I, when I preach today. So I looked in the, in the drawer where we have some um, saline nasal gel right here. See the size of this tube? See what that looks like? Put a little bit on a Q-tip. Swabbed it around in there a little bit. This doesn't feel right. Because instead of grabbing this one, I grabbed this one. This one is salicylic acid wart remover. (laughs) Didn't feel quite right. Shoved a whole bunch of soap and water up there real quick. <laughs> Speaking of comedy, next week, Brett Hollis is here. Brett Hollis is a comedian, and he's done it for years and years. We've had him every year about this time, and he'll be back, so you won't want to miss it. 10 o'clock, Brett Hollis. Right on. You pray with me? <clears throat> God, thank you for being our loving Father, our Creator, the one who knows us best. You know us better than we know ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that you have plans and purposes for our life, Lord, which you may be, uh, some of us may be aware of some of those and others aware of, of not much at all, but Lord, it's true. Thank you for your love for us as you demonstrated through Jesus Christ coming, laying down his life for us, Lord, paying the debt for our sin, giving us your Holy Spirit showing us what you're like, who you're like, and how we can connect with you, Lord. We thank you for making a way for us and for wanting to teach us, Lord, and wanting to train us in your ways and according to your kingdom. Your kingdom is awesome, and we love it. Teach us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Just a short review today. We're not going all the way back, but two weeks ago, um, we learned that Ezra set his heart to study the word, to practice it, and to teach it. He was loyal to God. He was devoted to God. Some people are people pleasers. Ezra was a God pleaser. He says, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to know? How do you want me to live? And that was the constant voice in his heart. He set his heart to study the word of God, to know it. Instead of the word of God being um, something that he filtered through his experiences, he filtered his experiences through the word of God. That's really important for us that we do that. A little bit of review from last week. We talked about our identity as priests. We said, I'm not a priest. Well, yeah, you are. You're an ambassador. If you've come to faith through Christ, you've recognized God's goodness, his kingdom, his love, his mercies, and grace. Um, You've received his spirit into your life to lead you. 
Um, then your identity is a priest. You're an ambassador. You're a mediator between the secular and the heavenly kingdom of God. Uh, between the holiness and the sinfulness of humankind, we have good news to bring and to tell and to live out. Your dependence is upon the Bible. We talked about that. You develop a, you, your development of useful skills. We talked about Ezra being a, um, a skilled scribe. Not just a scribe, but a skilled scribe. You look to excel and be well-versed. Uh, your confidence is in God's hand upon you. And that is a common theme. That's part of what this um, entire series is called. It's um, God's hand upon us. God's hand. The hand of our God was upon us. And we can have confidence in God's provision when we're walking and we're looking to fulfill his calling on our life. And then our determination to live for Jesus. So we pick it up, verse 11 today. Chapter 7, verse 11. King Artaxerxes had given a copy of the following letter to Ezra. This is in the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire. The priest and the scribe who studied and taught the commands and the decrees of the Lord to Israel. And then it goes on from there, and it lists what was contained in that letter. And within that letter, we find authorized permissions, authorized accommodations, um, resources, executive powers given to Ezra, uh, permissions for all the Jews, any Jew, uh, including any priest or Levite, to return from the Babylon area back to Jerusalem. Um, We see later about 5,000 people it looks like, went with Ezra on this second trip back to Babylon. We, we spoke <clears throat> through the first part of Ezra of Zerubbabel um, taking people back. About 50,000 Jews were left. King Cyrus said they could return to Jerusalem from exile. And so they did that. And now here, um, some years later, uh, Ezra leads a second group back of 5,000 people. Babylon itself, within this letter, was to give, provide gold, silver, Um, The king instructed that sacrifices be made to the house of their God. And so verse 23, he says this, King Artaxerxes says to Ezra, he says, Be careful to provide whatever the God of heaven demands for his temple. For why should we risk bringing God's anger against the realm of the king and his sons? Was Artaxerxes a believer in the Jewish God, Yahweh? Was he, did he understand or have a, Appreciation for? Um, Why should we risk bringing God's anger against the realm of the king and his sons? Interesting. This is is really interesting is if you've read the book of Esther, Esther was a contemporary. Ezra, some people think Ezra might have, I'm saying Ezra, Esther, Esther. The book of Esther was written. Esther, some people think Esther was Artaxerxes' mom, mother. And if not his mother, um, at least during the, maybe Artaxerxes was born of another wife to King Xerxes or so forth. But real close-knit, um, could do some more research on that one, but it's very close. He definitely knew and understood her influence, if you read the book of Esther. Another cool thing there is, um, and we'll see this later on, but Ezra, uh, Nehemiah, and Esther, they were all contemporaries. And when you read Nehemiah chapter 1, it says this. It says, we read that the setting is the citadel of Susa. This is the same city in which the young Esther was forced to participate in the beauty pageant at the whim of the king named Xerxes in in Esther chapter 1. So just cool connections there and time frame. The Bible's not written in chronological order. There's different books, different parts put. They're like the prophets, prophetic books are put together. The historical books are put together. 
And so those are good things to understand and know. Um, but anyway, that's really kind of a cool thing to know, be aware of. Verse 25 says, And you, Ezra, are to use the wisdom your God has given you to appoint magistrates and judges who know your God's laws to govern all the people in the province west of the Euphrates River. Teach the law to anyone who does not know it. Anyone who refuses to obey the law of your God and the law of the king will be punished immediately, either by death, banishment, confiscation of goods, or imprisonment. So there's your executive power and judicial power, all given to Ezra to reign subservient to Artaxerxes west of the Euphrates River, what he says goes. So that's a lot of power. Um, Artaxerxes, of course, had the greatest power. That was the, that was the empire of the day, the Persian Empire. Uh, ruled over 127 regions, so to speak. And, um, and Artaxerxes says, why should the wrath of God fall upon the king and his sons? So Artaxerxes is recognizing a higher power even than him. So um, a lot of great powers in the world. Here's some, here's some guys here. There's a lot of different guys. You might recognize some of them or none of them. <laughs> when a single person has unfettered powers, those powers often corrupt. Putting that type of privilege upon frail humanity is quite a risk. Military leaders, spiritual leaders, political leaders. Here's some more. Very few rulers have ruled well, and no earthly ruler has ruled perfectly. Even our best rulers. And of course, we can think of the bad ones. Think of Nero of Rome, Ivan the Terrible of Russia, Adolf Hitler, Germany. Even some respected, you know, ones that are looked upon favorably, Winston Churchill, uh, George Washington, David, King David in the Bible, they still had their faults, were lacking in many ways. Whenever we talk of authority and power and influence, our mind should always go to the future because there's a king to come who will judge the world in righteousness, minister judgment to the people in uprightness, Number one in your notes, we acknowledge God reigns. God reigns. And what a day that'll be when every knee will bow, every tongue confess. There's coming a day when everybody will be held accountable. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Jesus is coming back. God's coming back. King Artaxerxes says, be careful to provide whatever the God of heaven demands for his temple. For why should we bring risk of bringing God's anger against the realm of the king and his sons. He wanted to be on the good side of God. Heart <laughs> of Xerxes dead. He thought that was maybe the way to do it. Psalm 82.8, rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. All the nations belong to the king. And all of creation belongs to the creator. Daniel 7.14, he has given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. The book of Revelation talks about the future. It says the seventh angel blew his trumpet. This is of things to come. And there were loud voices shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It's important for us to remind ourselves and keep that forefront in our minds. Second coming of the Savior is inevitable. It's imminent. He will return to judge the living and the dead, and he's bringing his reward with him. He says, I'm coming and I'm bringing my reward with me. 
God is over all, and he's appointed us to represent him on earth until he returns. And so <clears throat> Ezra is given quite a bit of power by Artaxerxes, and his response in verse 27 is, Praise the Lord, the God of our ancestors who made the king want to beautify the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and praise him for demonstrating, praise God for demonstrating such unfailing love to me by honoring me before the king, his council, and all his mighty nobles. I felt encouraged because the gracious hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered some of the leaders of Israel to return with me to Jerusalem. Yeah, I would feel encouraged. The king says, you got everything, you got my ring, you're in charge, give me some confidence. Be kind of confident going across the west, west of the Euphrates. And isn't that true? If we understand and know and recognize, if we believe that God's hand is upon us, yeah. that gives us tremendous courage to fulfill whatever calling God has put on our life. It gives us energy and perseverance to endure and to move forward and accomplish the works that God has given us because we have great confidence knowing his hand is upon us. The gracious hand of the Lord is upon us. Yeah, and Ezra, you know, this was kind of <clears throat> stepping out in faith. Did he know that this is how the king was going to respond to his request? The king was going to say, yeah, you got full power, and by the way, take a ton of gold and silver with you, and, and when you get over there, uh, neither you or any of the priests or Levites are to be taxed. You're supposed to be tax-exempt over there. Did, did he know that was going to be the response of the king? So he recognized the gracious hand of God is upon him. And whether that was the influence of, what was that? Huh? Wasp? I heard him, and I felt him. <laughs> it's been a difficult morning for me. <clears throat> yes. Here's a review from last week. God's blessing is upon me to accomplish his mission. You know, his blessing isn't on me to, to run off and do whatever I want in whatever ways I want. I can do that. But I'm outside of his provision and his blessing and his anointing. He's created me anew in Christ Jesus, and he has works for me to do. We've been learning about that a lot on Wednesday nights, a little bit um, on Monday nights with the men's group, and of course that's on break now to January. But Wednesday nights, we have one more Wednesday night left this week. That'll be great. God has works for me to do, and he has provision for me to do it. He has anointing and power for me to walk in to accomplish that which he's called me to do. And the same with you. We continue, Ezra 8, uh, now we're jumping down. Uh, 1 through 20, we're actually going to jump all the way to 15. Uh, the first part of, of chapter 8 is showing all the different people that came back with Ezra. And again, I said it was about 5,000 people. Thereabouts gives the heads of the families and, and then how many with each family or people group there was heading back to Jerusalem. And so after it lists all though, in verse 15 it says, I assembled the exiles at the Ahava Canal and we camped there for three days while I went over the lists of the people and the priests who had arrived, I found that not one Levite had volunteered to come along. It's a little, a little problem. They need Levites. Um, the Jewish law prescribes that Levites are the ones to carry out certain duties, sacri um, sacrificial duties, mediation duties, um, teaching duties. 
And so it was important that they were there uh, for conducting sacrifices and serving in the temple and so forth. So verse 16, so I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, who were leaders of the people. And I also sent for Joyarib and Elnathan, who were men of discernment. Look at that, who were men of discernment. And I sent them, and the verse continues, uh, next couple verses, to chief men to inquire, to request, to recruit uh, these Levites. And then verse 18, since the gracious hand of our God was upon us, we see it again. Since the gracious hand of our God was upon us, God had stirred their heart to do something, so they were doing it, and they had God's favor in doing it, provision. Since the gracious hand of God was upon us, they sent us a man of understanding, and it goes on to tell him and a couple other guys and their families. There's a trend right there. Um, We've already learned that Ezra was a skilled scribe. He was a man of well-versed. He was an understanding, had discernment, had a track record. And now they need Levites, and who does he send to recruit and to inform? He sends men of understanding. And who do they find? A man of understanding. And so they're compiling a team here of credibility, people they could trust and work with, and they're people that have discernment. And in total, they recruit about 40 Levites, because there was about two or three men, and then it was their sons and their families. It's about and two, or 40 Levites and 220 assistants, temple, temple assistants. Um, Sherebiah was the man of understanding, along with Hashabiah, together with Jeshahiah and their sons. You ever heard, like, like kinds attract? Like kinds attract. There was a recognition of credibility and motives and mission and spirit, and they were building a culture. They were doing something important. God had a mission, and they were identifying with and finding and uniting with people of similar vision and credibility and understanding and discernment to move forward. Number two, we cultivate a culture of credibility. We, South Central Wisconsin, sitting here, wherever you're at online, we look to connect with other people that are sincere in their desire to know and obey the Lord and to grow and to be discerning. Credibility. We represent God first and foremost. We also represent our church. We represent one another. And Understanding, a man, a person of understanding. Are you a person of understanding and discernment? Understanding, discerning people. Here, we could probably list about 20 attributes or 20 um, distinctions, but here's, here's four of them. They test and filter their emotions before responding. They hear both sides of the story. They're not hasty in judgments. They're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. They humble themselves. They revere God's word. They're honest. These translate into wisdom and diligence and competence and trustworthiness and reliability. Here's a question. If God came to you in the middle of the night in a dream and he said, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. What would you say? How would you respond? Because that's what God did to King Solomon. Some of you guys know. 
in a dream, appeared to King Solomon and said, Solomon, Solomon was a brand new king, David, King David's son, just taken the throne. Solomon was seeking God. He was seeking the Lord. He was praying. We're seeing a, tra- a, a track record from Solomon. He's going to different towns, and wherever he's going, he's praying, humbling himself before the Lord. He says, this is his answer, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? God wants us to know the difference between right and wrong. He wants us to be discerning. He wants us to be smart. He wants us to know. He wants us not to just react based on our feelings or emotions, although he's given us feelings and emotions. Those can be used in powerful ways. But they need to be filtered and managed. God appeared to young Solomon, asked him what he asked, what he might give him, and he didn't say riches, he didn't say fame, he didn't say long life, he didn't say honor, he didn't say peace, but he said, give me an understanding heart that I might know the difference between right and wrong. And we see here with Ezra, he's that, and he sends some representatives that are that. Now imagine if he sent someone else, people not of understanding, to recruit Levites before they traveled back. We get a glimpse as to what that might look like. Look Look at Proverbs 26, 6 through 10. Trusting a fool to convey a message is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is as useless as a paralyzed leg. Honoring a fool is as foolish as tying a stone to a slingshot. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a thorny branch um, brandished by a drunkard. Brandished by a drunkard. An employer who hires a fool or a bystander is like an archer who shoots at random. There's a good contrast. Pastor Bob's been talking in Philippians about the with me men. He, Paul had guys that were with him, um, like-minded guys that were his teammates. And uh, how powerful that is to have a with me brother or a with me sister if you're a lady. A person that's humble before God is looking to know, trust, and obey him more. People of understanding. I remember when I first went to college, fresh out of high school, and I went to a Christian college, and I just thought, hey, I'm going to a Christian college. My, my thought was, you know, everybody there is going to want to know God more and want to obey God and live for God. And so I was kind of surprised and taken off guard. I was naive a little bit that a lot of people that were there were not there for the same reason that I was at that time. And in year one, I kind of connected with a bunch of guys that were a lot of fun, but maybe didn't take God very seriously, or he wasn't really a great priority in their life. And I recognized other guys that were different than that. And so after year one, I don't know what it was, but I was kind of feel. I think the Holy Spirit was saying, Travis, I don't know if those are the with me men that you want to be with. I don't know if they're your with me guys. And so, and I liked them and loved them and, and so forth, but I had to kind of, I, I thought, yeah, there's some other guys that maybe I wouldn't normally hang out with or do things with, but they, they want to know God more, and I think they're going to help me know the Lord more and do the right thing. And so I started, I made a conscious effort year two to start investing in and, and hanging out with other guys, and so I would just kind of say, if, if the other people were asking me to do stuff, I said, I'm I actually am busy tonight, or I got something going on, and, and I just was kind of, kind of transitioning to a different set of with me brothers. And uh, Ezra was doing that. 
Ezra was leading that. He was wanting to connect with them. He was wanting to recruit those type of people. And we want to become those type of people. We want to connect with those type of people. Now, now here's, here's a, uh, what's the word? Um, can't think of the word. Um, <clears throat> we love everybody. We care for everybody. We bless everybody. We help everybody. But in partnering and in working with someone closely, we want to have people that have the same values and the same mission and the same desires, same convictions. We want to be more closely aligned with people that are going to further those things. Look at Proverbs 16.21. The wise are known for their understanding. Proverbs 13.20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I did get in trouble a couple times that first year. I did. It just came to me as I'm reading this. Hmm. Deuteronomy 1.13. Choose some well-respected men from each of the tribes each tribe who are known for their wisdom and understanding, and I'll appoint them as your leaders. That was Moses when he was leading the, the exiles out of Egypt, you know, a thousand years prior to this exile. So type of leaders a nation needs. Man, that's the type of leaders we need in the United States of America, from understanding and discerning that prioritize the Lord, his word, once you have an observable track record, not just someone who is charismatic and winsome, track record is more important. Yeah. Um, just put uh, put a uh, advertisement out for New Year's Day. New Year's Day is uh, January first, so it's a Sunday, and the first Sunday of every quarter, which that is. We do a membership class at Life Church. Do people have to become members of Life Church? No, absolutely not. But if people have the same belief system that we do and they commit to the seven, the seven commitments we call them, actually on your chair right now, there's a, should be a little, little card. And there's seven commitments of a member right there. And these are just single, singular words. You say, I don't know what that means. What do these things mean? Come to that class, you'll find out. It's about a 50-minute class. We provide lunch for that. But, but we want a team, and we want to, we believe God put us together for a reason, and he wants to accomplish great and noble things through our lives. And so, um, so that is available there. I'm not going to take time to run through all that. But building the culture. We cultivate a culture of credibility, honoring to the Lord. Uh, Ezra 8, 21 through 23, we continue. And there by the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our God. And we prayed that he would give us safe journey and protect us, our children, our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from our enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him, but his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. So their dependence is upon the Lord, and they're depending upon him for health and provision and protection, um, so forth. Would it have been wrong to ask the king for protection? 
Would that have been so bad? No. In one sense, you know, we're supposed to exercise prudence. It's common sense. Um, God has given us a mind. He wants us to use it. We're not to be negligent or foolish or put God to foolish tests. We're not supposed to walk in front of a locomotive and expect God to intervene. It's just foolish. It's not being spiritual. It's being stupid. (laughs) Jesus himself, he's tempted by the devil. And the devil says, hey, throw yourself off this top building because the angels will catch you. And he says, the scripture says you should not put the Lord your God to a foolish test. Don't do that. So it would not have been wrong to ask the king for protection. But in a second sense here, and we can kind of see in regards to some of the context, that this scenario is a little unique in that, um, one, the king had just given him a whole bunch of everything, right? And kind of, you don't want to be the person that is closing on a house, and the seller says, hey, I'm going to reduce the purchase price by 20000 for you, and then they sign it, and you're like, and then you're like, um, no, let's, let's try to write a counter or an amendment and ask them to also give us their golf clubs instead of golf clubs. I mean, that's so tiny and so minuscule. They've just given you so much. You don't want the deal to fall through. You don't want the king to be like um, offended or uh, you don't want to mess up the deal. So there might be some of that going on, but probably more so is this third scenario, whereas um, Ezra... Ezra was a representative of God to King Artaxerxes. He was the vantage point of ambassador of God's kingdom. He had spoken to the king and informed him of many things. And maybe it was important for King Artaxerxes' faith that Ezra exemplified the confidence one can have in the true God. Maybe this was a tension that Ezra felt. And so he did what he knew best to do, given that scenario, and entrusted himself into the hands of God, depending again on his providence. So, so a few things there. I'm not sure which one it was, um, but I think there were some tensions there of, of Ezra wanting to, um, Artaxerxes to know that he's not just giving lip service. He really does believe in a God that protects and takes care of them. And so for him to run back, Artaxerxes, uh, we protect us now on the way, almost seemed to undermine his faith in God. So would that have normally been wrong to ask for protection? No, but given the scenario... I think that's what Ezra was feeling. He didn't want to undermine God. And so he thought, you know what? We're going to humble ourselves before God. We're going to ask for God's help in this. Instead of relying on man, we're going to rely on God alone and for him to give us discernment and instruction as to how we're supposed to proceed, how we're supposed to guard the treasures and so forth on this long trek. So he gives orders for everyone to fast and humble themselves. Number two, we humble ourselves to hear God. Humble ourselves. How do we humble ourselves? Uh, Fasting is just one way, but it's a way that he chose. He told the people to fast. What's the purpose of fasting? What's not the purpose of fasting? Fasting is not to appease God or to get God's attention or to show God how much I'm suffering so that he'll do something for me. It's not to twist his arm or manipulate God to make him do something that he doesn't want to do. It doesn't prove anything, nor does it get God's attention. It doesn't earn brownie points with God. It doesn't earn his favor. Fasting doesn't do those things. Like, I'm fasting, now God owes me something. No. No, fasting is simply a way to 
humble themselves, a way to prepare their own hearts, a discipline for the purpose of countering the demands of the flesh. So our flesh, I mean, you agree with me or not, our body exerts great influence and control over the spirit. You know, it wants to be praised and pacified and pampered and entitled and gratified and indulged. Causes us to react illogically or out of fear, so we do something quick, or out of excitement, so we do something quick or hasty. When we're driven by the flesh and it's unchecked, it clouds our spiritual awareness, it skews our discernment and our priorities. And fasting for a time can help train and tame the body. The fleshly desires to stay in its lane. Say, body, stay in your lane. Stop bumping out and getting in the way of soul and spirit and everything else and being the boss of everything, everywhere. Stay in your lane. Uh, Contentment, moderation. Fasting can help us clear and create space, time, desire with God. So that's why they were, that's why they were fasting. Not if we fast, then God will protect us. If we don't, he probably won't. That was the idea. It was to hear from the Lord, humble themselves before the Lord, and trust themselves to the Lord to hear him. And we actually, every year we do, um, the beginning of the year, we have a time that's called transformed. And transform is where corporately, we as a church, we say, hey, let's seek the Lord together. It's a new year. It's a great opportunity to say, God, what do you have for me this year? What's your plans? And for us to take time to align our hearts, slow down, and um, spend some intentional time, some additional time, prayer, study, fellowship. And so transform is Sunday, January 8th this year through Wednesday 11th, four days, four nights of seeking the Lord. Um, If people choose to fast, it's something they could do. They don't have to do that. 6.30 to 7.30, corporate gathering at Life Church. We do prayer every night, uh, prayer, worship, reflection, and we deliberately slow and spend focused time with the Lord. Ezra and the people, they were humbling themselves. They were using fasting as a tool, at least in this situation. They were looking for some discernment and help from the Lord. And Ezra, again, credits God's gracious hand. This is a way of living life, seeking counsel from God daily, walking with the Lord moment by moment. They humbled themselves to hear God. They were entrusting their lives to him. This brings us... um, you know, a lot of things are outside of our control, right? So they're fasting and they're praying because they don't know what's going to happen when they take this track. It's supposed to take a year to get there. It's supposed to take nine months to a year to get there. And they don't know what's coming in front of them. And so they're just humbling themselves instead of jumping out in bold selfish or self-confidence. So they're showing God reliance. God, we need your help. We want your wisdom. We want to do things your way. Um, Life is not within our control, but Ezra entrusted himself to God. That's number four. We entrust ourselves to his keeping. Ezra and the people were entrusting themselves to God's care. Regardless of what happens, through the good times, through the difficult times, Lord, we're we're your people. We're called by your name. We belong to you. We're doing as best as as we think and relying on you and doing what we think you're calling us to do. Um, but we entrust ourselves to you. Entrust yourselves entirely to God. He is the Father and the most loving Father at that, 
who would rather let heaven and earth collapse than abandon anyone who trusted in him. That's a good quote. We see that. We see, we see David doing that. Psalm 31.5 says, I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, O Lord, for you are a faithful God. We see Jesus on the cross, his last words, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Stephen, um, the New Testament church, Stephen witnessing, and, and they drag him outside, they're stoning him to death, and he says, Lord, receive my spirit, entrusting our spirit, entrusting ourselves to God especially at at death's doorstep. Humans are comprised of body, soul, and spirit. And though my flesh and my cognitive abilities may suffer loss, my spirit is being renewed every day. My spirit will inherit a new body, a better one. My cognitive limitations will one day be more than restored. I will know much more then than I know now. Romans 8.23 says, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. That's awesome. Entrust ourselves to the Lord every day. I don't know what today holds, Lord, but I entrust myself to you. We'll continue with the main text. It's Ezra 8, 24 through 36. And he says, I appointed 12 leaders of priests. Jump to verse 25. They're to be in charge of transporting the silver, gold, and other items for the temple of God. It says, you and these treasures have been set apart as holy to the Lord. Guard these treasures well. So coming off of their fasting and their humbling of themselves to the Lord, wanting to hear God and entrusting themselves to the Lord, this is a decision that subsequently comes from that time. And it's to say he's appointing 12 leaders, 12 of the priests to watch over and to guard the treasures and to be in charge of the transportation of those to the city. And, um, and again, this is showing us that different people have different jobs to do. God has us all doing different things at different times, but all for his glory. And so these priests now have a job to do, and it's to guard and transport this treasure. This has been a common theme throughout this book, that um, different people, God's stirring their hearts at different times for different purposes, but it all working together for the glory of God. Different people doing, being faithful, being faithful, and that's, that's uh, five again today. We do our part. God does his part. We're faithful with whatever God has called us to do and what he's put before us. With our circles of influence, with our opportunities, we do our part. God does his part. We believe. He saves. We abide. He transforms us and nourishes us. We trust. He makes straight our path. We look to be teachable and obedient, and he stirs our hearts, and he empowers, and he resources, and he works wonders. We do our part, and he does his part. We continue, verse 31, it says, We broke camp at the Ahava Canal on April 19th. 
We started off to Jerusalem, and the gracious hand of our God protected us and saved us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived safely in Jerusalem where we rested for three days. Everything, silver, gold, other items, was accounted for. Verse 36, the king's decrees were delivered to his highest officers and the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, who then cooperated by supporting the people and the temple of God. So there's more things being done. There's people delivering decrees to the highest officers and the governors. All the treasure made it there safely. They made amazing time. They left Babylon April 8th, which the ancient Hebrew lunar calendar, that's the first of the year. That's the first of the year for them. They went as far as Ahava, which is just a little bit outside of Babylon, and then they camped in Ahava for a little while, for three, four days or so forth. And it was on April 19th that they broke camp at Ahava, so about 10 days there at Ahava. And then they arrived in Jerusalem on August 4th. Again, all those are lunar, uh, ancient. Um, th- this is cool. The ancient Hebrew lunar calendar coincides with the Persian records on that. So we actually know the exact dates of when they got there and when they arrived. That's kind of cool. Unprecedented speed under five months for a group of that size. It's usually closer, like I said, to nine months or a year. And um, we, have a, we have a map here. It shows us something. So there's Babylon. And they went just outside of Babylon, about right around here is Ahava. And then when they actually started their journey, instead of going up here on this purple route, which is the route that Zerubbabel had taken the people back on, and that was the route when the people actually were taken captive out of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, they were taken along this route up here down to Babylon. But here, Ezra and the camp, they take this route here. They cut through here, and they make it in in under five months, just under five months. And God's hand was, he gives credit to the Lord. God's hand, gracious hand was upon us. So a quicker route, maybe a safer route. Uh, There's another map. It's the same thing. I don't know if it shows it better. It does a little bit. Babylon, straight down to Jerusalem. Cut off a lot of time. Reflection today. One, we acknowledge God reigns. God reigns. God is king. We cultivate a culture of credibility. We want in our own lives to be skillful, to grow in knowledge and understanding grace of the Lord, but also just practically in various ways for whatever God has called us to do. We humble ourselves to hear God's voice on a daily basis, daily basis. Humble ourselves to hear God. And we entrust ourselves to his keeping. We do our part. God does his part. We keep seeing this kind of over and over again. Sometimes there's kind of a, a new thing introduced. But throughout Ezra, God is helping us uh, own something and develop in our own lives, in our own mindsets for the days in which we live. Father God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for the book of Ezra, that we have this history to read. Not just history to read, Lord, but spiritual application to our life. We thank you, Lord, that you're the same God that Ezra served. Your same promises exist. 
Thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room and uh, that we're family, Lord. Thank you for building your church, Lord. It continues to grow each day and each year. More people learning about you, putting their faith in you, growing in their faith and their understanding, being equipped for every good work that you've called them to do. We thank you, precious Lord, for caring about our lives. We thank you for the grace you give us each day, Lord. Thank you for providing us with comfort and peace and joy, even through storms, Lord, even through hard times, Lord. We thank you for your rewards that you are bringing back with you. We thank you for your presence in the present. We worship you because you're worthy of it all. We sing that. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.